Today marks week number two of a series called The Hole in Our Gospel. Before I get started, can we give it up for everybody watching online? Just, we love you. Thank you for joining us. Let us know where you're joining from. And when I say that, I don't mean like I'm in the bathroom. Don't be weird, okay? I mean like what city, what state are you calling from? What country? We've got people watching in other countries. It's amazing. So, but let us know where you're, where you're at watching online. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, this two-week series, uh, let me just say this. Whether you're watching online or you're in the room, if you missed last week, I really want you to go back and watch it. Whether you watch it on YouTube or listen to it on iTunes or Spotify, it, it sets the tone for today. Um, today can stand alone as a message, but go back if you missed last week because it's so crucial because they tie together so, um, so good. So I'll give you a little context of the, of the series, The Whole in Our Gospel. It stems from a book that we're going to read together, and I pray that you'll get a copy if you haven't already. And the, 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 the title is really, it really comes from a question that says, have we embraced the whole gospel or have we embraced a gospel with a hole in it? So, so in other words, is our faith, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, is it based on uh, a scripture that maybe you know or memorize? Is it based on the fact that you, you believe in Jesus? I believe he's God's son, and is it just based on that and that alone, and, and you're good to go? Is it based on um, church? I'm in church. You know, is it based on, I check my kids into kids' ministry. Yeah. By the way, I haven't said this for a while. I'm going to say it. Our kids' ministry is our most important ministry at Meadows Church. And I, I always say this. Now, the pastor, I, I, he's weird at this church, but the, but the kids' ministry, second to none. So I, I just want you to know that. I don't talk about it enough, I don't think, recently. But our kids' ministry, safe, fun, and life-changing. And when I say safe, moms, dads, grandparents, you already know this. You check a child in birth through fifth grade in our kids' ministry, you, I mean, they get a tag, you get a tag, and we match those things up. Otherwise, your kid ain't coming home with you. I mean, that, I'm just telling you, it's that serious. Like, you don't have your receipt? Well, little Jimmy, little Jimmy, he's ours now, okay? It's a, I'm sorry. Jimmy works for Jesus now, all right? So it's just the way it is. I have a receipt. That's kind of funny. Here's, on a good day, this is what I would tell you. If you don't have your receipt for Jimmy, here's what we might do. If we're in a good mood, we might say, you know what? We can't give you Jimmy, but we can give you somebody of, you know, equal or lesser value. I mean, we might do that. Like the little redhead over there, he's cute. I mean, take him. So anyway, that's bad. I shouldn't say those things. But uh, our kids' ministry rocks Rocks, rocks. I love them so much. So, but what is our faith based on? Scripture, a, a belief in something or someone, uh, or is there more? Turn to your neighbor and say, "There's more." There's more. There's more. And, 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 and let me just add this: If you're here today, whether you're here today or you're watching online, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, "I don't know about a hole in the gospel, but I feel like there's some something missing in me." Like, there is a void in my life. There is a hole in me. There is, I mean, I feel like I'm just going through the motions. I feel like this can't be all there is. And for you, here's what I would say to you. There's more. There is more. You're right. And that's one of the reasons that God led you into the environment today, or God had you click on today. I'm preaching today out of a gospel called Luke. Luke is a doctor who recorded uh, bits and pieces of the life of Jesus. And in Luke 7, if you brought a Bible or a mobile app, go there yourself. God's going to speak directly to you. Underline, highlight. We'll put it on the screen as well. Luke 7, 18, I'm going to set it up for you. John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus, six months older than Jesus. He baptized Jesus, hence the name, right? So John finds himself in a precarious situation. He's in jail. Not the place that you want to be. Meadows Church, a lot of us, were familiar with it, but maybe other churches aren't. But we know. 
John's in jail, and, and, and it's not good. And, and John's starting to have some questions, and John's starting to have some doubts. That's where we pick up the story. Luke 7, 18. The disciples of John, so John had his own following as well, but John was always pointing people to Jesus. The disciples of John the Baptist told John everything about what Jesus was doing. So they went and visited him in jail. Jail visitation's happening right now. So John called for two of the disciples. He sent them to the Lord to ask him. <laughs> this is a crazy question coming from John the Baptist. Ask, ask Jesus, is he, really the, is he really the Messiah? Like, is he really the one we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for somebody else? Think of the gravity of this statement. All John has done his, his life that we know of is point people to Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God. And now he's wondering, did I get it all wrong? Is he even that? He is confused. He is struggling. He's hurting. He's in prison for proclaiming truth. That's where he finds himself. Facing death. Doubting and saying, did I get it wrong? Is he really the Messiah or is he just a prophet in a long line of prophets? That's what he's wondering. Like, I'm sure John is thinking, Jesus, you said that you came to set the captives free. Hello? <laughs> I'm a captive. I'm not, I'm in jail. Where are you at, Jesus? I don't see you around. Like, it's, oh, by the way, have you ever felt that? You ever felt like, Jesus, where are you at? Like, Jesus, you, you, maybe you're not in jail, but you, you're in a jail in some sort of sense of the fashion of the word. And, and you're struggling in a relationship, or you're struggling in a financial situation, or you're struggling at work, or struggling in your own messed up mind. And you're like, Jesus, I pray to you, I cry out to you, and I hear nothing, and I feel nothing. I'm at church, but I'm just sitting there, and I don't, I don't sense anything. Other people are, like, having revelations and getting words, and I'm just, I'm just hanging out. That's how John felt. And by the way, John, you're not alone. You, you'd look at the epic people in the Word of God. They all struggled with doubt. Many of them struggled with doubt and uh, confusion. What was it? The other thing I put, they, they struggled with doubt and uncertainty was a big thing. Moses, Elijah, the prophet Jeremiah was a big one. Paul, the apostle Paul. If anybody struggled with doubt, think about his life. He's transformed by Jesus, a radical transformation. All right, I'm walking with Christ. This is going to be awesome. And the next thing Paul knows, he is getting beaten. He is getting whipped. He is getting flogged. He is getting stoned. Okay, not the cannabis kind, okay? Always got to tell you that. Not, well, maybe. I guess I don't know for sure if he, you know, if I were him in that situation. But that's a whole, whatever. So uh, he, he's not having a good day. But Paul perseveres. In hindsight, I wrote this down. I hope you like this. In hindsight, faith makes sense every single time, doesn't it? In hindsight, faith makes sense every single time. Here's the problem. We don't live in hindsight. And that's why we need to live by faith, by, by believing without seeing. John had questions. John was struggling. John announced judgment's coming. But, but Jesus doesn't bring in judgment. Jesus, all John sees is Jesus is bringing love and mercy. John said the kingdom of God is at hand. But, but if it was at hand, there was no evidence in John's life. A jail cell is what's at hand in his life. And, and, and you talk, when I talk about the frequently asked question series that we're starting next week, this would be a question, right? The, why would God, why would Jesus allow John to be going through this? John, all John did was good things and point people to Jesus, and now he's in jail facing death. And I don't want to give away the whole story in case you haven't read it, but it doesn't end well for John. 
Okay, let's just say he doesn't get ahead. Anyway, I know it's, ah, there it is. I, James, you got it. I love it. He didn't get ahead. Ask your questions in that series. One of the number one questions I know we're going to get, so I'll just address it now. People, someone's going to ask, do, do I need Jesus to go to heaven? And I'm going to tell you, dude, you need Jesus just to go to Walmart, okay? I just, you need Jesus, yes. There, that question's done. Let's continue in the scripture. Luke 7, verse 20. So, so John's two disciples, they find Jesus, and they ask the question that John told them to ask. Jesus, are you the Messiah? That means the anointed one, right? The, 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 the son of God, the savior of the world. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, now here's going to tell you what Jesus has been, been up to. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. He restored sight to many who were blind. And then he told John's disciples, this is how he answered the question. You go back and you tell John. You go back and you tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind see. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. This is amazing. So, so but did you catch what Jesus said, though? You know, did you catch what he did? Jesus, what he just pointed the disciples of John to, tangible acts of evidence. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't list a bunch of theories. He didn't list about what people are believing. He listed action, mercy that's being given, love that's being given, compassion that's being given, judgment that's being given. It's so key. At the end of our lives, think about this. Think about this. When, when, when we die, we're not going to hear, hey, well done. Or actually, I, we are going to hear well done. We're not going to hear well said. We're not going to hear well thought out. We're not going to hear well planned. No, it will be well done, good and faithful servant. It will be what we did that is being looked at. Let me ask a question based on what we, what we know so far about this Jesus character. And, and last week's message, which is why I need you to uh, listen if you haven't already. Did Jesus have a heart for the least of these? Yeah. Yeah, you bet he did. I mean, Scripture, Matthew 25, 40, a huge foundational Scripture in the book that we're reading together. Truly, I tell you, whatever you do or whatever you did for the least of my brothers and sisters, well, you did it for me. You, he, he had a heart for the least of these. Now, did Jesus have a heart for kids? Yeah. He did. In fact, kids were the least of these in Jesus' time. Women were the least of these in Jesus, when Jesus walked the earth. They were considered that. So, but, and he had a heart for them. I mean, I could give you scripture upon scripture, but we don't have time. I'll give you Luke 18, 16. Jesus said himself, let the children come to me. The disciples were trying to hold them back. No, Jesus ain't got time for you. Jesus is like, are you kidding me? They're all I got time for. Let them come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these children. So, so Jesus, you had a heart for the least of these. And Jesus, you had a heart for kids. So how many of you um, can remember, by show of hands, where you were when the events of 9-11 happened? You remember? Yeah. Online, hand raise emoji, if you remember. In fact, right, right in the comments where you were. The, the only hands that probably didn't go, get, go up were the people that weren't born yet or didn't have a, you know, were just a toddler or something. We remember. 3,000 people lost their lives like that uh, through a tragic event. I want you to picture something. I want you to picture 9-11 going down, but it, it happens differently. It doesn't just happen in New York City, 
but, but 9-11 is happening like in five cities all at the same time. I, this is, it just, just go with me here. So it's not just New York, but it's New York and L.A. And it's Dallas, it's Minneapolis, and then it's Omaha. So all on the same day, all at the same time, five airliners crash into huge buildings. 3,000 people there, 3,000 people there, 3,000 people there. Can you imagine? Just imagine the news from 9-11 that happened uh, in New York and how it dominated and should have. It was horrible, horrible. But, but think about five. You'd be like, oh, my God. That's all we would we would be so consumed with, oh my God, what is going on? What's happening? It'd be in the news, it'd be in social, it'd be all over the place. We'd be preaching about it every week into the church, talking about it. It'd be everywhere. So, so but now, let's take it a step farther. Now, let's say, so that's 15,000 dead. Now, now let's say that same event happened the next day. You're telling me five cities again, 15,000 people dead? Yeah. And then let's say it happened the next day. And and now let's say it wasn't just people, but it was all kids. All the kids were dead. 15,000 kids, dead, dead, dead. We don't have to just think about it. It's actually happening. And you may be thinking, wait a minute. It'd be all all over the news, just like you said, Monty. It'd be everywhere. It'd be social media. It'd be all over. Well, it isn't, but that's why we're preaching on it. And that's why God wants to make you aware of it. That today, 15,000 children are dying, will die. And tomorrow, the same thing's going to happen. And the next day, the same thing's going to happen. That is hard to fathom. Now, now are the lives, and you, you probably get it by now, I'm talking most likely, or most of all, about third world countries and what's going on. Now, is the, is the child in that third world country any less valuable than the fireman that risked his life and died saving somebody out of a building in 9-11? They're both as valuable. It, 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 it's it's, it's gut-wrenching to even say it I, I could give you more stats. Uh, kids that are five and under, uh, one kid dies every 12 seconds. So every 12 seconds. Think about that. There's another one. That's just the kids under five. It, it, stats are, they're good and bad. They're good because they make you aware of something. They're bad because at the end of the day, they're numbers on a piece of paper. And, and it's not personal. But I guarantee if that, that airliner hit Omaha and it was a place where your parents worked or a place where your kid went to school, it'd become personal really quick. 570 million kids lack basic drinking water at their school. These are the kids that go to school, by the way. 264 million kids and youth in other countries don't even go to school. And right now my kids are thinking, oh, they're so lucky. No, these kids probably want to go to school, at least most of them. They, they, they're not going to school, not because they don't want to, but because they can't. The thing about um, the, the poverty is this. When you're, so, uh, when you're so in the trenches of poverty, it cripples you and you can't do anything because all you're doing is trying to stay alive. So you, they can't go to school because we need the kids at home finding food or, or going after water, like trekking five miles, you know. That really does happen. The buckets on the head, that isn't just something we read about. Those are, that's going on right now. That's going on today. And so they can't go to school because we need them. The, 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 the dad can't work if he's alive. He can't work because he's busy just trying to fend through the day. We gotta, I can't work for a living. I got I to gotta just try to live another day. So there is no job. There is no... I, the book, uh, The Hole in Our Gospel, 
he has, uh, the author has pictures in here, and one of them, I mean, it just gets me. I mean, they, a lot of them get me, but this one is this kid, and he, this is a kid that probably trekked miles to go to uh, a water source to get water, because without water, they're in trouble. Well, you can see the water, I don't know if you can tell, but it's like yellow and sludgy. This is the water they're getting. So do you understand that when they get water, because you, water is a life source, uh, when you get water, uh, most of the time it's like this. So what do they do? Well, I'm not going to drink it. No, they're going to drink it because if they don't drink, they're going to die. Well, the problem is they're drinking so, many, so much bacteria that it's going to kill them anyway. So, so I'm just trying to give you a context of what's happening because someone did this for me one time, and I, I, I hope I never get it out of my mind. But this, this I mean, I think about going, going without water for a day. I mean, we would be flustered without any water in our homes uh, or in our city. I mean, it's unbelievable. But, but that's what they do is they go and fetch water at the closest water hole, most of the time, many miles away from where they even live. So the cycle is vicious. Understand this. The cycle is vicious. The poor are hungry, and their hunger keeps them poor. Does that make sense? They're, they're, the poor are hungry. And because there's hunger, it keeps them poor because all they're doing is surviving. And when you're in survival mode, you're not going to live a purpose-driven life. You're not going to prosper. You are going to struggle day by day just to keep your heart beating and your lungs breathing. A few more stats, not that you're already not overwhelmed, but more than 736 million people worldwide live below the poverty line, earning less than $1.90 a day. So $1.90 a day. Okay, think about that number, 736 million people. Again, it's, it's, it's stats are good and bad. Repeat after me, say, I can't do everything, but I can do something. Psalm 82.3, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Church, there's a gap. I mean, it, it, and it is a chasm. The chasm is this. The gap between the rich, which is you and I because we live in America, and the poor, which is like the little girl that you saw fetching water. The gap is unbelievable. Like, like the fact that we live in 2022 and there's this gap, is, is, it's, it's hard to comprehend that it exists, but it does. And, and, and the awareness piece is the first piece. America, by the way, represents 5% of the population in the world, America. By far the wealthiest country in America, or in the world is America. 5% of the people live in America. It's not all about America. Even though we like to think it is, it is not. Jesus died for every human in the world. So the total income, let's look at churchgoers because that's, that's where we're at right now, right? We're in church. Uh, the, what did it say? The average churchgoer, if you combine all the churchgoers, uh, the total income uh, in America, this is America, is $6.5 trillion. $6.5 trillion. You're a trillionaire. It doesn't feel like it, does it? But yeah, you're a trillionaire. $6.5 trillion. If we just took 1% of that $6.5 trillion, so 1% of our income, if we all did it together, all the church people going to church and praising God, if we did that, 1% of the income would lift the poorest 1 billion people out of extreme poverty. We could end it. This is, it's not something that can't happen. It's crazy. So enough stats for, for, for right now. And by the way, I'm not guilting anybody. Trust me. I hope, God, I hope you don't feel that. I just want to make us aware because I never was until I read the book. So, and the book has way more than just poverty. That's why I want you to read it uh, so much because it's the heart of the Father that he's trying to break our heart. He's trying to show us what the world is and that we're part of the world and that we can make an impact. You do for one what you wish could, you could do for everyone. That's our motto. 
I will do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. So, and it, but it's not our fault. Our, is it our fault people are poor? I, no, it's not your fault. But I think it's our responsibility to do something about it. That's what I think. That's what I think God is calling us to, to, to do something. The story, it's crazy. Haiti, three-fourths of Haiti uh, is poverty. I mean, it's, what did it say? Yeah, they, they earn less than $2 a day. Can you believe that? It, again, we can't fathom this stuff. It's just too crazy. One in five children in Haiti are chronically malnourished. So Haiti is, is, is poverty ridden. But there's a, do you know there's a business that's thriving in Haiti? There's one business. I, there's maybe multiple. I don't know. There's one that I, I read about in the book that's thriving. Burgers. Right? Who, I mean, who doesn't like a good hamburger, right? So, but, but these patties are different. They're not made of meat. They're made of mud. So this business is booming. The patties are made of mud, oil, and sugar. Typically, typically, typically consumed by only the most destitute. One, one person said it's salty, has butter, so you really don't know you're eating dirt. But it, and it makes my stomach quiet down. I don't know where you're going for lunch after church but, or what you're going to have, but I'm guessing it won't be that. Say, I can't do everything, but I can do something. When, when my wife Jody and I were first introduced to the book and we, we were at a church just like Meadows, uh, we then got introduced to, introduced to an opportunity uh, to a sponsor a child. And Obed, not Obed, Ariel was our first uh, kid we sponsored. Ariel was probably nine or ten at the time. He lived in Ecuador. We, we, they send you this whole story and stuff. You read about him and you write him letters. It's amazing. So Ariel... Uh, it's a boy, he was a boy, and uh, it was amazing. We, we fell in love with him, uh, and we sponsored him for uh, 10 years until he was 19, and then they kind of age out of that. So, uh, and then we sponsored Obed was our next one. Obed lived uh, in Ghana, Africa. I think that's how you say it. Uh, he was, uh, eventually he aged out as well, uh, and, and then we sponsored uh, uh, Martha. Here's a picture of Martha. She's uh, one that we sponsored. That's Martha. She lives in uh, Tan. Tanzania? Is that how you say it? I always want to say Tanzania, but it's not, it's not, that's not right, so don't say that. So Tanzania is where Martha lives uh, in Africa, and uh, she turns 14. She's our youngest child, I like to say, in our family, and the most well-behaved, I might add. So anyway, so there, there it is. So Martha, sorry kids, it's true. Martha turns 14 in June. I think June 2nd, Ava, a day before your birthday. So she turns 14, and we've been sponsoring her for years, writing her letters. What I love about sponsoring a kid, here's what I love. Um, I love that it's relational. I love that they send me information about where she lives and what she does. I love that she writes letters. You know what Martha told me? She said, I, we asked her about school and if she likes it. And she, said, she says, I'm an average student. I mean, I don't know what that means. But she, said, she doesn't think she's a great student. She said she's average. And... Uh, but we get letters uh, every couple months from Martha. The kids get to write her back. Jake's probably written her the most, I would say. Um, but we, we include pictures. It's all online. We do, it takes seconds to do. But it's amazing. Uh, it, but we're learning about her, and we're learning about her culture and learning how she lives. But, but if I can say so, oh, let me cast visions for a second about missions. Because people will ask, what does Meadows do for missions? Do you do missions? And I'm like thinking, that's all we do. <laughs> missions is all we do. We have a, remember the mission statement you hear every week? We exist to lead people to Christ and their God-given purpose. See, here's our problem. We tend to think when we hear missions, oh, it's going to be for Martha or over in Africa. No, no, no. You know where your mission field is? It is. Look out the window. Step out, you step out the door and look at your neighbor's house. That's your mission field. Are we doing missions? You better believe we're doing missions. It's all we do. 
So, no, but what they probably mean is overseas missions, and I get that. But I don't want us to th- hear missions and think, oh, it's, we're going to get... No, your mission trip is, is, is driving around your neighborhood. Your mission trip is when you go to school or when you go to work. That's a mission trip. Now, eventually, will Meadows do some overseas stuff? I would love it. But you know what I'm doing right now? I'm having conversations with some very wise people and learning about how we can make the biggest impact. Uh, again, Joanne Lyon, a mentor of my, my pastor, I'm getting to know her, and she's, I mean, this woman has been all over the globe multiple times, and her heart is, is overseas. And she, you know she's teaching me? That a lot of times mission trips, it's more about us than it is even where we're going. Honestly, can I, we can be honest in the church, right? It's more about me. Look at me. I'm on social media. I'm going to go over to Haiti and build a, build, a, build a house or paint a fence. Or, and I'm not saying those aren't, aren't bad things, but uh, is, that what they, is that what they want? I, I want to know what they want. I wanna, I wanna, how can we support and love you? And here's what I'm finding out. It's not so much what you do for them, because really what can you do in a week? Here's what I'm finding out. When you go for a week or two weeks, you know what Joanne told me? She said, it's not what you're going to do. She said, it's who you're going to meet and how you're going to listen and love. It's relationships. It's sitting down with Martha or maybe her grandparents and asking questions and just loving and listening. And, and, and that's what it is. It's, it's a relational piece. So we're really, we're really we, we want to take our time about where we're really going to make an impact in the world. But, but the thing we're doing right now is this, because this is relational. And our dream is that everybody in our church would sponsor at least one a child, and, and that, that multiple people here today would sponsor multiple children. That's our dream. This will never go away. I want you to think about this. Imagine Martha's family when they got noticed that they're being sponsored. Do you understand for them, that's like hitting the lottery. That's like hitting the lottery. Like their life has dramatically changed. And not just hers, but when you sponsor a child, you're sponsoring the entire family. So 38 bucks a month changes everything for them. I don't even notice it's gone. Changes everything for them. It changes her life. Martha's not just getting fed in her family, but she's getting bathed and she's getting water and and she's getting to learn about Jesus and she gets to go to school. It's all Christ-based. This is Compassion International is the organization that we go through and it's all Christ-based. I love it. And it's relational. We're getting in her life. We're writing letters. It's got to be relational. Okay, the other thing that Joanne talked to me about, and I want to share this with you because uh, she's been on the grounds in a lot of places, and she talked about Liberia. And Liberia is just one country that's been through a civil war years ago, and they're so ravaged by it. I mean, the war is over, but... And she, she talked about some things that I can't hardly... I can't, we can't fathom. But the book had a story that, that when I read the story, it, it resonated because it, it was a similar stories of what Joanne was telling me. This story, I'll just read you a, a snapshot of it. Because, because understand something, the, the lack of food is just one element. Lack of water is just one element of what they're living through. Many of these countries are ravaged with war. War is going on that you may never hear about. And war, what what war does, it magnifies what's already going on that's not good. The author writes, war is never benign. It has a face. And that face is human. One face of war, I'll never forget, was a woman named Margaret. She, She was caught in violence of the northern Uganda war against the rebel, rebels resistance army. One day, Margaret, six months pregnant, was working in a garden with several other women, and the rebels came. You know who the rebels were? Children. Understand something. Families that never get support, 
and never get love and never get sponsored, do you know what generally will happen? The boys will get recruited to kill and the girls will get recruited in a sex trade or sex slave. So Margaret's pregnant. She's hanging out with her friends in the garden. Uh, the kids come and the commander, he's an adult, the adult's a uh, commander. They emerge from the bush. They come to steal food and supplies, but that's not all they do. And this is where it gets graphic. Stealing isn't enough. They attack the women. They hack Margaret's friends to death with machetes while Margaret watched. They approach Margaret to do the same, and the commander sees she's six months pregnant. Or she, he can tell she's pregnant. So it's being superstitious, he says, don't, don't kill her because I'm afraid if we kill, you know, it'd be, you know, the gods, and it's going to be blood on our hands because we murdered a pregnant woman. A woman. So, so he gave orders to the children, the, the rebel children, to cut off her uh, ears Uh, her nose and her lips. So that's what they did. So they they cut off her ears, her nose, and her lips, and they left her to die. Because he said, we leave, she dies. That's kind of not on us anymore because she's dying on her own, right? That's just the way they think. Margaret amazingly made it. She lived. She got uh, taken to a a World Vision, what do they call it? A World Vision Children of War Center for treatment. Three months later, she gives birth to James. So her little boy is born, and she, but, but she, I, I was going to look for a picture, but I don't, I don't think we want to see it, to be honest with you. So I know I don't. So they're helping Martha, not Martha, that's the girl I sponsor, uh, Margaret received trauma counseling, can you imagine, uh, s- s- teaching her how to be a seamstress so that she can start to live and make money. She's trauma, trauma, traumatized and permanently disfigured, trying to rebuild her life and trying to be a mom. And this is when the author says he came on the scene and met her, and he had learned about this whole story. And he says, Margaret's story seems like beyond comprehension, doesn't it? Well, like when you and I hear it, there, uh, there is little in our frame of reference that allows us to understand such brutality. What happened next can only be understood through the miracle of God's love, a demonstration of the powerful, uh, the, the incredible power of the gospel to redeem even the darkest kind of evil. And I don't know that it gets a whole lot darker than what we're reading. One day, months after James was born, Margaret sees the commander who gave the orders to chop her face apart. He's been captured. He's brought to the same rehab center where she's at. I'll just paraphrase it. She freaks out, obviously. Going through, she's going through all this trauma anyway. She's like, oh my God, there's that guy. And she, she's like, you gotta help me. She wanted to kill him. I mean, of course. So what they did is they got the, the, they heard the story, they got him out of there, got him to a separate facility where he wasn't with her, but they start working on him. Right away, he's denying it. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't order anything. And, and so he's in his facility. They're talking to Margaret in her facility, talking to her about just the trauma, uh, maybe even working towards forgiveness, if that's even fathomable. And, and sure enough, they, the guy at the other, the, the commander who ordered the, the, the thing, he finally admits it. They get him to admit that he, he ordered what was done to her face. So he, and it doesn't end there. God's working on Margaret's heart. So Margaret, they, they get him together. Again, this is crazy. The man asked Margaret to forgive him. Margaret, just imagine what she looks like. Now, how do you look in the mirror and forgive what that? Margaret reaching deeply into the source of forgiveness, and that's Christ. There's no other way. She forgives. 
here again was the power of the gospel to redeem and restore, to meet evil and turn it back. On the wall of the Children of War Center are photographs of that day, Margaret and the man who had her mutilated. He's holding her, her baby in his arms as she stands, as she stands near, near together, smiling without lips. I, I share that story just because war is just one more piece of what we're dealing with. When we look at how the way that people are having to live that we have no idea. I, you, I mean, I hear that. I read that story and I think, how in the world? But you know what I hear from a lot of people, especially the last two years? How, what is wrong with our world? Like, what is wrong with the people of our world? But I, I, listen to me. We don't have to ask that question. That diagnosis was given more than 2,000 years ago. Okay? What's wrong with the world is you and me and the sin in us. That's what's wrong with the world. The question that we really should be asking, it, we shouldn't be asking what, what happened to the world. What we should be asking is what happened to all the people who claim Christ as Lord and Savior, but they're not living like him. God is calling you and I to close the gap. But understand something, before God can do something through us, he needs to do something in us. There's no way Margaret forgives unless Christ has done something in her. It doesn't happen. And this is the gospel, the redeeming power of the gospel that would compel us to sponsor multiple kids. I wouldn't be doing that, I don't think. I don't think I have a heart for that if Christ wasn't in me. I wouldn't really care. They're, they're there, I'm here, whatever. The gospel is this. Don't wait for Easter to hear this. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ, that compassionate man who told John the Baptist, I am healing and I am, I am, I am restoring sight and I'm restoring lives and I am making dead things uh, alive. He, he just didn't do that uh, in, in three years. He came to do it forever. This is the greatest news in the world, that Jesus Christ would come. And in the greatest act of love, mercy, compassion, Jesus climbs on a cross and he, and, and he dies literally dies at 33 years old. Three years of me. He did more in three years than we'll ever do. I know that. But he's called us to be the church. He's dead. And it's over. But it wasn't over. Why is Easter such a big deal? Why are we asking you to submit questions? Why are we begging you to invite people to come? Because, boy, they're going to get the story on steroids. That's why. Because the story never gets old. Margaret, how do you forgive a guy that chopped your face apart? Jesus, that's how I do it. Maybe you were taught growing up, there's multiple ways to heaven. There's multiple. No, there's not. There's one door to the kingdom. His name is Jesus. That is it. There are no other. And Jesus said, I have come to, I have come to make all things new, starting with you. If we're going to make an impact in anybody's life, we need God to make an impact in ours. And I'll be straight up with you. I think there are a lot of people sitting in a lot of churches who they've gone to church a lot and they know scripture and they're not, they're not even, that you'd say they're a good person. They just don't have Christ in them. And I don't want that to be Meadows Church. I can't control what other churches are doing, but I can tell you this. I want you sold out to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords with all your heart. And some of you, maybe you have never done that full wholeheartedly. The reason that you know you can do that, the reason that there's hope is because Jesus on that cross, he didn't stay on the cross and he didn't stay dead. Three days later, Jesus Christ was alive. Three days later, Jesus Christ broke forth from the tomb. 
He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated poverty. He defeated tears. He defeated hurt. He defeated atrocity. He defeated it all. He is alive. And today he says, call on my name. Call on my name and you online, you will be saved. Say, I call on Jesus in the comments. Type it. In the room, the green cards. And I don't care if you think you've done it before. I'm asking right now, is Christ the center of everything you are? Do you have his heart? Could you forgive like Margaret? Oh, man. Not without Christ, you can't. And some of you, there's places in your life that are so dark and so deep and so hollow with a hole in them. And the only one who can ever fill it, his name is Jesus. Sell out to the king today. The Bible says you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe in him. He is the son of God. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. But they can't stop at belief. See, believing in Jesus isn't the end of salvation. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of salvation. It's, it's, it's saying, I want to live for you. I won't get it right all the time, but I want to live for you. I want to help love like you love. I want to make an impact like you make an impact. This is what God, this is, what God is calling you to do. Let us pray with you at the end of the service. Fill out your card. Let us know what God is doing in your heart. Surrender your life to Jesus. God changes the world. God wants to change the world, but he wants to do it through individuals because the world is individuals made up of the world. So it happens through individuals. God changes the world through one man and one woman, one boy, one girl, one student, one person. God changes the world one person at a time. That's what he wants to do. And the goal of the church, once you're transformed by Christ, you're, 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 you don't go to church, you are the church. Adopted into the family of God. There's no greater news in the world. And then what does God say we should do? We are to be the church, salt and light to a world that's dead and dark and tasteless. That's what he calls us to do. You know what our job is at the church? It's to make an invisible kingdom visible. That's what we're supposed to do. To a world, make an invisible kingdom visible. How do we do that? We do that by the way that we love and the way that we give and the way that we serve and the way that we pray and the way that we live. Not, not just talking about Jesus, but loving like Jesus and living like Jesus. If we do that, I'm telling you, the world will change. It will. One person at a time. The stickers and magnets that we put on the chairs the last two weeks, I pray you'll put them in a visible place. If you're watching online, they say, how did I love someone like Jesus today? You can make your own, put it wherever you need to put it. <laughs> One of mine is. Ask yourself that question. How did I love and live like Jesus today? You hear stories of the poverty that we talk about. And one of the biggest quotes that hit me years ago when I read the book, I'll put it up again. I don't know who it's from. I'll probably find that out pretty easily, but I didn't. Sometimes I'd like to ask God, why would you allow such poverty and suffering and injustice like what happened to Margaret? Why would you allow that when you could do something about it? I'm just afraid God would ask me the same question. I am too. If you would, check out the, check out the screen and just watch this video. Thank you.
The day my mother found out she was pregnant, my father told her to end the pregnancy or he would leave her. She chose me. He was gone before I took my first breath. As a single, uneducated mother in Villa Flores, Mama struggled every day to provide for us. As a young girl, I would think about my future. Would I ever become someone? The voices of my neighborhood said, you're just a poor child. Your future is set. You will never become anything. Needed someone to change my future. I joined the compassion program at my church. One day, I shared my dream with my sponsor. My sponsor's reply was simple. Yaneli, I love you, and I believe in you. Sometimes you can't believe in a dream until someone else believes it with you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. My name is Yaneli Suero doctor, wife, mother, and a precious daughter of God. Right now, there are millions of children all over the world who are desperate for someone to believe in their future, just like I was. On this Compassion Sunday, you can tell a child in poverty you believe in their future. Sponsor a child today. Do me a favor, say 48. 48 children spread out on the stage. Um, 47 now, I understand, because Jake just, what's the name of the kid we're going to sponsor? Bright? I hope we make his life brighter. That's the goal. Um, here's, we're going to celebrate communion. And uh, people ask me sometimes, why don't you do communion all the time? Well, because I grew up doing communion all the time and it lost its meaning to me. And I just did things to go through the motions and maybe that wouldn't happen, I don't know, but we just do it um, from time to time and may start doing it more though, because I think, obviously, Jesus said, break right together. Communion is for those that have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. So if, if that's not you, you, you don't need to worry about coming up. You can come up and sponsor a child, I love that. Um, 
but for those of you that you're, you're, you're saved and you called on the name of Jesus, some of you might have just did it today for the first time. This is, this is us celebrating what, what I described as the gospel, what Jesus did for us. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross. The, the, the drink represents the blood that spilled out that covers sins. It's amazing. Blood is one thing you just can't get out, but it's, it, it's the one thing that takes the sin out. Without blood, there is no there is, no, there is no forgiveness. Well, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice and his blood covers a multitude. That would be all of sin. God knows the things you've done. He knows where you've been, what you've done. And the blood of Jesus is enough to cover it. I love that. So we will release, the band will worship. You don't, I hope you don't just walk out. I hope you spend time. I hope 38 bucks a month to sponsor a kid. By the way, these packets, if you do sponsor a kid, and I'm praying that you do, um, if you fill it out here, you can't just take it with you and leave. You can't do that because we have to send up the, the tear-off that you fill out with your name and all that. You'll give that to a table that says compassion right out there. Don't leave with that, pa- with the, with that part because we have to have that. We have to send these back together. These kids up here are the kids that have been waiting the longest to be sponsored, just so you know. I, we have a contact at Compassion. Paul is his name. He, he helps me do all this and get this all ready. But these kids, are the, they've waited the longest. And uh, it's $38. It's $38 a month. Uh, what, what is that for gas? That's like a quarter tank of gas, right? Seriously. I mean, it's nothing. So, um, so communion, I just want to pray for you. And then we'll go like front, you know, just come over, up, over, up, and then we'll go front to back. And uh, maybe we'll have the ushers or the host team in the med center just kind of helping you out. So, but in the band will play, and I want you to worship God. I love being your pastor. Weekends like this are, are, are very exciting for me because as a pastor, it's so easy to preach messages and I think to myself, God, is, what are, are we going to do something with it? And I'm talking about me included, but here, like sometimes, God, I wish I had more faith, but I like to see it. When I see kids start disappearing, I'm like, it just fuels me because I know the church is, they're getting it, they're doing it. We're being the church that God's called us to be. Wouldn't it be cool if all these names are gone? 11 o'clock, I'd be like, sorry, get up earlier, you know? No, we're going to tell if they are gone, and I pray they are, 11 will sign up online. And we're going to have them uh, do it online right in the moment. Like, they can't leave. We're chaining the doors. They can't get out. I'm kidding. So, um, I hope you sponsor a child. We sponsor multiple, as you can see, and we love it. I can't do everything, and neither can you, but we can do something. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I thank you for your word and your truth. I love how you comforted John. (laughs) You didn't rescue him. You didn't go there and and, and just bail him out, but you gave him truth. You said, I am that one. I am that Messiah. And John, you know it by the way that I love these kids. And you know it by the way that I heal. And you know it by the way that I raise dead things. And you know it by the way that I heal blind eyes. You know it by not what I say, John, not what I declare, John, but what I do. God, may we be a church that will do what you do, not just declaring it or singing about it on a Sunday, but doing it on a Monday and a Tuesday with our stickers and our magnets. Who can I love like Jesus today? Challenging each other to do it, not just talk about it. Inviting someone to Easter. Sponsoring a kid. Someone here, they're already sponsoring, and you're going to tell them to sponsor another one. That's what you're going to do. God, we want to be you. Whatever it looks like, whatever it takes. We thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for the gospel. Nothing else matters unless we have your Holy Spirit in us. And that happens when we surrender our life to you and ask you to come into us, forgive us of our sins, and make us new, and you'll do it. God, I pray that people will do that today. Nothing is more important. 
And then we can start to get about the Father's business and be the church together. Father, we celebrate communion just like you did with your disciples. The bread representing the body, the drink representing the blood. God, I pray that as people come up, they won't just eat a wafer and, and take a drink, but they will reflect on the love of the Father. How do you love like that? That you would, you would do what you did for us? I don't get it. But I sure appreciate it. And we sure will never stop declaring it, God. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We will never stop lifting up his name. This isn't our church. We're a piece of your church. This is yours. And God, we pray we will honor you with truth and love, with challenge, with action, and with surrender. And if we do that, God, the world will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray and we all say, amen. Hey, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. But don't stop there. I invite you to like or subscribe to our social channels. That way you don't miss a single video, update, or message. But not only that, would you consider sharing this message with a friend, coworker, family member? I mean, so many people need hope and encouragement, and you have the ability to bring it directly to them. Finally, one more thing. I want to ask that you would consider giving financially to this ministry. I mean, God has done so much, but yet we believe he wants to do so much more, like so many more people he wants to reach, so much more hope he wants to give, so many more lives that he wants to save, and your investment can help make that happen. So again, thank you so much. I love you, and God loves you more. God bless you.